Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 136 of Impact Boom. My name's Rachel Stevens, and I'm a contributing editor at Impact Boom, and I'm passionate about meeting and working with others who share our mutual drive for creating positive social impact. Today, we'll be speaking with Claire Coder. Claire Coder is the founder and CEO of Aunt Flo. On a mission to ensure everyone has access to menstrual products, Aunt Flo stocks hundreds of companies across the world with their 100% organic cotton tampons and pads. Coda launched her first company at age 16, designed a bag for Vera Bradley that sold out in 24 hours and has her own line of gifts. The 21-year-old founder has been featured on Teen Vogue, Forbes, and starred in the TLC's Girls Starter Season 1. When she's not jamming out to Macklemore, she's pretending like she knows how to run Google Ads. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Claire's journey as a young social entrepreneur and why she's so passionate about menstruation. We'll talk about the barriers she's faced and the learnings she's gained with the evolution of her startup. And Claire will share her insights and advice regarding young people in the social enterprise world. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Woohoo! <laughs> So I want to kick things off by getting a bit of an understanding about you. Can you tell us a bit about your background? Of course, yes. Um, so a little bit about myself. I, I like to say that I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I started my first quote-unquote business when I was seven years old, and it was actually a lemonade stand. It was a hot summer day. I was seven years old. My babysitter had her boyfriend over, so who the hell knows what they were doing, but I realized that down the street there were construction workers and it was a hot day so I was like oh my gosh I have my target audience so here I am I'm like mixing up some crystal light packets from my mom's like stash and pouring it into little cups and my best friend Dana was actually with me that day and we go out to the side of the road we put up a little cardboard box and we had our lemonade stand then I realized that I have never seen my dad drink lemonade and these construction workers looked a lot like my dad. They were white and bald. My dad is a construction worker. But what I did see my dad drinking a lot of was beer. And so at seven years old, I was raiding my dad's beer fridge, bringing this beer out to the side of the road and selling it for $5 a can. And that was the first $25 that I made. So in terms of my background, I think that that's the perfect description of my energy towards entrepreneurship and how I have always loved to sell shit. Now I do it legally, but I have always loved to put smiles on people's faces and just sell things uh, to change the world or change somebody's day for that matter. So that's a little bit about my background in terms of entrepreneurship. And there's my, my first story that just kind of came out from within. Perfect. I can definitely see why you've been an entrepreneur from such a young age. Seems like it's very ingrained in you and great uh, user research, I guess, by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> we always have to understand our target audience. Absolutely. 
So now, as we said, you're the founder of Art Flow, which is an organization committed to making sure everyone has access to menstrual products. I'd love to hear a bit more about what's going on there at Art Flow. What's the purpose? What are you guys doing? What's going on? Right. So after I finished selling beer when I was seven, I uh, <laughs> ultimately started a second business when I was 16. It was a button company. So I would design, make, and sell buttons and magnets and compact mirrors. I became a top seller on Etsy while I was in high school. And for no other reason that people just love kitschy shit, they would just buy it all. And I was making oodles of money for a 16-year-old. So I did that for a little bit. And as I was going through high school, I was always asked the question, where are you going to college? It was never a question of what are you doing after high school? It was always that presumptive, where are you going to college? And that, of course, forced me into the typical American way of graduate high school, go to college, get a job, get married, have a kid, get a dog, like all that stuff. But um, so after I graduated high school, I went to university in Ohio in the States, and I was there studying comparative religion. And while I was there, I realized that I was not enjoying university. Ohio State was a party school. I hate drinking beer. Although I'm good at selling it, I hated drinking it. And I really don't like football. And this school was all about American football. So I tried to find myself in the greater community. And I attended a weekend. It was called a startup weekend. Have you heard of startup weekends before? Uh, are they kind of like a hackathon sort of style thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a three-day-long hackathon. And on the Friday night while I was there, I actually got my period unexpectedly. Uh, I had switched birth control, so my hormones were entirely out of whack, and I didn't have anything with me. And so I go to the bathroom, and the place where there was this hackathon, it was a corporation, and the corporation offered free lunch to their employees. They had kayaks that you could borrow to kayak on the river for the weekends, but they didn't have tampons and pads in the bathroom. And you'd think out of all of the employee benefits, that is just such a necessity. And so I thought to myself, if toilet paper is offered for free, why aren't tampons and pads? And that was really the defining moment for the next now three years of my life where I decided that I wanted to commit my life to ensuring everyone had access to tampons and pads. So that was my, my starting moment for how we have now come to grow, what is now known as Odd Flow, where we stock hundreds of companies with our 100% organic cotton tampons and pads. That's exciting. It's so nice to be able to see such a clear line in the sand for you as well. You're like, this is the moment. This is what has to change. Here's the problem. It's really cool. So I know that for every 10 tampons and pads sold, Aunt Flo donates one to a menstruator in need. And so far, Aunt Flo, I think, has donated over 350,000 menstrual products to organizations across the U.S., which is some pretty awesome numbers. So congratulations for that. Thank you. From your experience, what's been, I guess, the best way to approach those partnerships and collaborations with the other organizations? Yeah. So I have always wanted to create sustainable solutions to ensuring people have access. So for what that means with our company is – we really positioned tampons and pads to be the equivalent of toilet paper. Just like businesses purchase toilet paper, they purchase tampons and pads from us to put in their bathrooms to offer for free. 
just like toilet paper. So from a sustainability standpoint, our business model is very sustainable because it's a facilities item, it's a body necessity, and that's how we picture it. But there are still people that may not have access to our product because of their proximity to a business that offers it, because they don't work at a place that offers them. We are starting to stock more middle schools, high schools, and universities, so the access is becoming broader. But for people that may not be able to reach our products for some reason or another, we do. We did create a partnership with an organization called Period Inc. Um, for more information, it's just period.org. And what they do specifically is they um, donate menstrual products to individuals in need. But what's also awesome is they have chapters at universities that advocate for access to menstrual products. So when we thought about a sustainable solution to giving, we also thought about a strategic partnership. So our partnership with Period is we donate products to Period so that they can distribute products to menstruators in need. But we also have created a relationship where the students on campuses are now advocating for Aunt Flo products on their campuses. So that's how this giving can continue. If we're just giving, 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 then we won't be able to be a sustainable for-profit company. Um, so that's how we had to think about our strategic relationship with that organization. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, so many of the people that we, you know, speak to on the podcast are in really similar positions. Is I mean, that's what a social enterprise is, essentially, uh, you know, is looking for that balance of for profit and being able to make a livelihood, but choosing to, you know, have a business and create a business that is there for creating greater impact. So absolutely makes sense. What have been some of the biggest barriers for you with the journey with Aunt Flo, the business, not your period? <laughs> and how have you dealt with them, I guess? Well, um, ironically, we're actually at a very large impasse in our business, and we have a large decision coming up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And as a reflection, I was looking back at my journal. I try to journal a little bit. A day, just a little bit a day, and I tag each journal entry with a different um, note. So it might be like entrepreneurial woes or hard decisions or big wins. And so today, as I was reflecting on a big decision that we're creating, I, uh, I looked at all of my biggest decisions in my past journal entries, and there were so many of them. Like, what manufacturer do we go with? How do I fire this person that I just hired two months ago? How do I make sure that I can meet payroll? Should we raise money? And so, like, all of these small things I thought were, like, the biggest things. But now, like, looking back, I'm like, oh, that's so simple compared to what I'm trying to decide today. Um, but in terms of, I think, our biggest struggles or hurdles that we have faced, I think are a few. So, first and foremost, I suck at numbers and logistics and everything operations. And I don't have a co-founder, I'm a solo founder, and so I don't have somebody that evens out my creative brain. And I've had a really hard time hiring that person. In fact, we're like two and a half years in and I still don't have somebody managing all of that. I'm still doing it all. But because of that, our business has really been stunted in growth. And so now we're strategically trying to hire somebody to fill that role as a director of operations. Um, But looking back, I think that that has been the hardest part of really identifying the skills that I am lacking and feeling comfortable hiring, um, hiring that role. Yeah. And it can be really hard sometimes, I think, to identify truthfully what that 
not weaknesses, but maybe not strong point is, and then finding the right person to fill that role, finding someone that you can kind of entrust your, your baby, your business with, because you have to trust them on that. Cause now they're the expert in, in that new field. So I think that's definitely a really, a big barrier that probably takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of time. <laughs> definitely. And I think what's also difficult too is in the hiring process, it's easy to hire for what you know, because you can understand if the candidate is good or not. But particularly in operations and logistics, now I've become an expert, quote unquote, for the past two and a half years. So at least I have some basis to understand if the person is good or not. But if I hired them two and a half years ago, I would have had no idea because I did not have a skill set. So it was hard to hire that skill set. Absolutely. Uh, And so like we've already spoken about, you're only 21. So you've done a lot by this point. What advice would you give to particularly young people looking to make a startup, to create a business, but to do that, to create impact in the world? Wow. A lot of things that I have had to learn by trial and error. I'm very much a learn by failure type of person. I've never learned in a classroom, obviously, because I left university. So for me, I think the most important part was being open to learning from others so that I reduce the amount of times that I fail. And so now over the past two and a half years, I've built out a really strong network of mentors. And I built that network from finding people on LinkedIn, harassing them with emails until they responded to be friends with me. Um, And that was really important because now I have a list of people that I call depending on the business situations that we're having. So for every young entrepreneur, I would challenge you to surround yourself and surround your LinkedIn and surround your social media with people that are smarter than you. Um, and then in addition to that, I think being a young founder has its pros and cons. From a media standpoint, from like getting featured in places, being a young founder is the best thing ever. Like you can tweet at the, you know, editor of Teen Vogue and be featured in like a day being just like, the headline being like young founder starts tampon company. You know? um, and as you get older, it's not as cool. Like old founder starts tampon company. That's a <laughs> terrible headline. So from the media PR standpoint, use what you got. But from a hiring standpoint and from a raising money standpoint, quite frankly, I've never had a problem being a female. In fact, I think there's a lot of advantages of being female and there's a lot of fun that only fund women. There are no funds that only fund men. They aren't allowed to have that thesis. It's weird. But you can totally take advantage of the funds that only fund women. So I did that. But I will say the disadvantage is my age because all investors know that being young, you literally know nothing. I still know absolutely nothing. And the only way, of course, as I mentioned before, that I learn is through experience. So when investors are giving me money, they're basically like, here's $1.5 million. We know you're going to like squander half of it because you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Not really. Um, but like, I mean, that's, that's part of the reality when people make investments is they understand that a lot of that money is going towards trial and error because you have to grow quickly. So therefore you are going to make failures or you're going to face failures. Um, but I think that in terms of age, those are the two pieces of advice that I would really reflect on and think about as, being a young founder. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine as well, it'd be really hard 
from other perspectives too, like hiring people who are older than you and, you know, having people take you seriously in the workplaces and things like that too. So it's nice to hear that your input on it, I guess, is, yeah, there's downsides to my age, but they're also counterbalanced sort of by the benefits and by that willingness to learn too. So that's exciting. On your webpage under the section I'm legit, which I love, by the way, uh, there's a serious growing list of awards and public speaking events. So someone must think you know something. Uh, <laughs> is, is, there, <laughs> is there any one particular event that was really formative for you professionally or personally? And what have been some of the biggest takeaways from those experiences for you? So I think my the most formative award is an award that I have not received. And then there's also an award that I applied 17 times for and finally got. And those are the areas that I've learned the most from. So Oslo recently went through a program called Techstars. Uh, we went through the program Techstars New York City. They have an acceptance rate of less than 1%. It's really prestigious and it's for like quote unquote the best of the best in entrepreneurship. So I originally launched Oslo at a, as a, te- at a Techstars startup weekend. And then I went to a Techstars startup week and I fell in love with Techstars. And so all I wanted was to go to Techstars New York City, which is like the pinnacle of Techstars in my mind. And I applied to tons of different programs across the United States, even international programs. I applied, I applied, I applied, and I did not get in. I, we finally got in um, the summer of 2018 and we went through the Techstars program. I had put so much emphasis on this program but by the time that I got there, it was a wild disappointment. Now, overall, the program was absolutely wonderful. Like, if I did not put so much emphasis on this program, like, like I would have been wowed. But, like, because I was like, this is the pinnacle of my entrepreneurial career, it was, like, such a letdown because I put, like, that much emphasis on it. So I think that that really helped form my understanding of what goals are and how to really think about goals more strategically rather than like, once I get there, I'm done. It's more of like, once I reach this goal, now what's next? And thinking at least two to three goals ahead so that I don't like get to the goal and then, you know, be sad. So I think that that was really formative. And then the other award that I mentioned that I didn't get um, is also formative. So there's a there's a program called the Teal Fellowship. And the Teal Fellowship is by Peter Teal, the founder of PayPal. And he gives 20 to 30 young people $100,000 each year to make shit. And you have to be under the age of 23. And once you receive the award, you have to drop out of university. So I started applying for this grant since I was 15. I am now 21. I have not gotten it. I've gotten to like finalist or whatever, but I have not gotten it yet. And my parents told me when I was in high school, Claire, if you get this award, you don't have to go to college. And I didn't get the award. And so therefore I went to college and I I went there only for a semester. I ended up dropping out anyway, but it was like that award would have meant so much to me if I would have received it. Uh, But I didn't receive it. And so I think it was really just good for me to experience not getting something that I want and like reframing because there are a lot of things that I can control in business, but there are also like out 
outstanding circumstances that I will never have control over. And so as a control freak, that was really humbling and forced me to learn and understand how the world really works. They definitely seem like two really important takeaways, kind of viewing your goals in that more stepping stone sort of orientation rather than like, this is the pinnacle, I can do this and then I've made it. But then also, if you do reach that pinnacle or if you don't, to recognize that not as a failure, but just another opportunity to learn. So I can see why they're really important for you. Now, the gears of social enterprise have been grinding long before you and I were born, but it seems like in the last few years, the general public and the business world are beginning to, you know, really give the sector the recognition and the legitimacy it deserves. Uh, I'm also seeing a lot of young people breaking into the sector And I wanted to ask, what do you think is creating growth amongst people our age to start their own socially motivated businesses? As a young person, I see the world with a lens of fear, knowing that if we don't change the climate, our next generation might not be able to experience this earth. Based on my personal perspective on why young people are both motivated to create companies and motivated um, to embrace socially, uh, social enterprise companies is we really recognize that our world is dramatically changing and we have say with our dollars. And as a generation that's quickly moving into the, the generation with the most power within our hands and in our wallets, we know that we have the capability to make change and we can make that change just by purchasing from organizations that matter to us. So I think that That is why companies are overall focusing more on social enterprise because they recognize that they have to or else they'll go out of business. Absolutely. And people's buying power is so strong. And like you say as well, uh, the younger generation now I think has more money and more you know, ability to spend it and has more transparency in the choices that they have as well. And so it is really affecting businesses and and they do really have to think more about how to appeal to consumers. And thankfully that's coming forward in the way of social enterprises, focusing on impact and sustainability and all those good things. Are there any particular business or design tools that you've found really helpful in the development or maybe even just the daily running of your business? I love tools. Um, so in terms of tools that I think aren't talked about enough and what I appreciate a lot, um, so I I love um, MailStake. MailStake is an email service that we use that allows us to send um, sequence emails, and it's only like $20 per user per month. And you can send like hundreds of thousands of emails in a sequence. So I think MailShake is absolutely wonderful. We use that all the time for our email campaigns. I love Calendly for booking meetings and being in control of my schedule. Um, And then when I was first starting, I used Canva a lot. Mm -hmm. That's C-A-N-V-A. They really help with design. It's this free service, and you can just put together, like, social media posts on Canva. And I feel like they should all sponsor me because I talk about these companies all of the time. But anyway, those are my three favorite companies. Awesome. Always good to have more tools and resources, and uh, especially from someone who is a you know self-proclaimed you know organizational freak. I think that's awesome. I'm sure they're good tools. <laughs> yeah. Are there any particular, or are there any other inspiring projects or initiatives you've come across in your work or just in your personal life you think are creating some really awesome social impact? Yeah. 
Wow, there are so many. There, there are a few that come to the top of my mind. Um, one of them is called Point, P-O-I-N-T. It's an app that helps connect uh, volunteer opportunities uh, with people. Pretty simple concept, but they've done it really well, and their execution has been stellar. Um, right now, that's only available in the States, but I think that they're expanding pretty rapidly. So that's a, a lovely social enterprise that I, I truly believe in. And then in addition to that, there's also a company called Kana Underwear, K-H-A-N-A. What I love about Kana is they took a very simple product, underwear. They didn't add any really, they didn't judge it up at all. You know how like things has like period panties and whatever. Kana is very simple black cotton underwear that actually just feels amazing. Um, but for every underwear pair that they sell, they donate a pair of underwear Um to a woman in need. So I think that what's really beautiful about organizations that are are coming up right now that are focused on social enterprise is they're all thinking strategically about how they can make a change for the customer, but also make a change for somebody else. So I love that both of those organizations are really um, focused on positive impact in the world. I can totally see why you love both of those as well. We've got underwear, we've got organization and collaboration we've got charities and social enterprises we've got apps it all makes sense now definitely before i let you go today my last question are there any great books or podcasts documentaries or any other content you can think of that our listeners should check out oh yes so i'm not a reader i'm dyslexic and reading is just like not my thing but podcasts which is why i agreed to do this podcast are my absolute favorite thing so aside from listening to this podcast, obviously, um, some of my other favorite podcasts, um, I love the podcast Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I love Serial. You've probably heard of Serial. But their most recent season was based on Cleveland, Ohio, which is two hours from where I'm from. So I love Serial, and it's all about true crime and things like that. So um, those are probably my two favorite podcasts that I love right now. And then, of course, I also love Freakonomics, Hidden Brain, and this podcast. Great. All good thinkers, good fun ones as well. Claire, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.